What's going on, listeners? Welcome back to Matt Goes to the Movies. It is Monday, which means once again, we're here talking about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Once again, it's the trio. It's me, Rob, and Harrison from the Basement Binge. So, Rob Harrison, welcome. Uh, two episodes left of this show, which doesn't seem fair, but an episode that really pushed the envelope forward, so to speak, or the needle, whatever phrase you want to use. So, uh, guys, again, welcome. Thanks for having me again. It's always a blast. Thank you. I've been looking forward to being here. All yeah, it's it's a lot of anticipation uh, with this. You know, it comes out on Friday, and uh, like we've said before to listeners, we don't talk until today. Like we don't talk yeah. about this episode <laughs> at all. So it's a lot of like, oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited to talk about it. So uh, with that being said, this again, this is an episode that really I think pushes the needle and shows a lot of emotion as well. At least for me, it did. So Rob, why don't we let you get started where we're going to go with the two minute warning here and give a spoiler for your view of what we think. So we can, we can get right into it. Yeah. So last week I, I definitely had some issues with some of what was going on. I, I wasn't the biggest fan of some of the writing, um, but I definitely enjoyed it. And this week um, you know, there's, there's a lot going on, um, throughout the MCU, they've been kind of hesitant to really get into some of the social issues that are going on in our world that, uh, many people are very passionate about. And, um, you know, at, at times it almost feels weird that these things are not represented on screen, um, in, in the MCU, if it's supposed to be, you know, an analog for our current world or, or supposed to represent what our world would look like if these characters and beans and, and powers actually existed. And, um, man, this week is really heavy. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on this week that is either a continuation of themes and elements that have been brought up previously in this show or, or just being introduced. And, you know, some of the things I wrote down that are, are really, you know, touched on at one point or another, um, you know, certainly the idea of violence as a means to an end, um, that's, that is a, it's certainly, I think that's one of the central themes of this series so far. And if you think back to the last almost year now uh, of, of certainly life here in America, and I know we've got international listeners as well. So, hey, quick shout out. Thanks for listening. Um, but here in America, you know, the, the violence as a means to an end is, is certainly a topic you might have heard something about. Um, and we definitely see that with the Flag Smashers and their their mentality and, and what they believe in. Um, acceptable, innocent casualties for a cause you believe is right. Um, you know, it's definitely another one that, that we see uh, Carly, you know, defend very, very strongly. Uh, we continue to see race touched on. We see the, the concepts of supremacy and not just supremacy in terms of race, but but supremacy in terms of my group over your group. I guess really tribalism would probably be the right word there. Uh, globalism, nationalism, use of force, immigration and refugees, corporatism, uh, PTSD. And, and I even wonder if we're even talking about possible war crimes here when it when it comes to uh john walker and and lamar's past um there's there's a lot that's being introduced here there's there's a lot of of big scary heavy topics that are that are possibly going on or overtly going on 
I wonder if it's maybe almost a little too much, you know, like, do we really want all of this at the same time when we're, we really just want to watch superheroes punch each other in the face. Um, but there's, there's definitely, um, and certainly with the ending, um, to this week, it's, it's going to spin some things into action here pretty hard. Um, there is a lot of things being brought up and a lot of ideas being talked about in this episode that uh, we really haven't seen in this form from, uh, from the MCU yet. Yes. Great points there. Harrison, what are, what are your thoughts on this episode? Well, wow. How do you follow up something like that? That Rob started off with. Um, I, I agree. This episode uh, was really weird. I've been thinking a lot one of the biggest things that I've been waiting for this episode to talk about is specifically to Rob is what was it like watching this episode with children? I don't know if you did watch it with your kids or not. Uh, so I'm curious to get your thoughts about that because like Rob mentioned thematically, intellectually, there's a lot of heavy importance, but very heavy ideas and concepts being expressed subtly and also not subtly. There's also just a lot of, uh, I, I don't know how to say this. There's just a lot of heavy imagery. And it, I just wonder what that would be like to watch with a kid, uh, both with the obvious and the, the subtle. But on top of that, right, we can talk, we can go down the same lane that Rob just talked about, or I can go down the total opposite lane and be like, this is the most exciting thing it is to watch as a love of comic book characters. I wrote in a review that I posted online for this episode, episode four, that they are getting all of these characters spot on. And it's tragic how spot on they are uh, for, for the bad with the ending of this episode, but also for the fun for pretty much the entire runtime. I was having so much fun, uh, but also there was a, a heavy uh, emotional and intellectual investment in it. So it's just everything that I could hope out of a series or, or movie in this format of a comic book movie and an action movie is all there. And, and I think that the, I'm so impressed with the balance of having the intense action, uh, the heavy action and both kind of like the dumb popcorn in your face action, but also in like the high stakes action. And then also in the story and how things are told. Um, and I'm just excited to get into it because there's, there is so much to talk about with this episode. Uh, and it seems like with kind of the way Rob introduced it, that, I totally agree with everything he says, but what I was thinking about going into this episode to talk with you guys was down a totally different lane than what Rob talked about. And, and of course, I can have a conversation about what he said, but it's just interesting how this particular episode and this show, there's so many things to talk about. And not just like things that happened, but there, there are so many ideas and so many things to appreciate going on. I'm not conveying what's the thoughts that's in my head right now. It's just impressive how much there is packed in it's unfair that we're only getting two episodes left, like you said, Matt. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, with how much they're getting into one episode, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's going to be a crazy last two episodes, but we'll have to see. Yeah, it's it's amazing how much they have really started to bring, to me, real-world issues into these episodes, and really how well they're doing with it because it's one thing to just bring it in and say, well, this is what's happening, but it's another thing to make it relatable and make it so that you want to see it inside the show, because regardless of where you stand on what's going on, 
you might not want to watch a show like this, or you might not want to watch Marvel to hear more about how terrible the world is, depending on your view. Um, but the fact that it gets you emotionally invested in it, I think is a testament to how well they're writing and what they're actually bringing in as part of this series. So I like this episode a lot. There's a lot of, to me, there's a lot of emotion in this episode that's subtle when you really think about the things that the characters are saying and the things that they find out specifically for me, there's one scene that I was really um, taken back by and that's with Bucky and I'll get into that, but I like this episode a lot. I think it's like darn near perfect in my view, Um, but that's my portion of it. So you know, listeners, uh, you're familiar with the show. That is the spoiler-free section, and we're going to get in right now to spoilers. So if you haven't watched this episode and you don't want to be spoiled, make sure to pause it, watch this episode, and come back and listen. So uh, where I want to start, guys, Rob, I want to get your thoughts on this first after I bring up this point here. We start off with a flashback of Bucky in Wakanda, and we find out that how he was freed from these code words for the super soldier program and why he's no longer activated to become the winter soldier, which I thought was a really good scene, which led to later on in the episode, which I'll bring back up to me, what felt like an act of, he still wasn't trusted. And it seemed like he was really hurt by the realization that they still didn't have full trust in him. So Rob, it opening up on like a small scene, but I think something that again, with these episodes and what they've been able to do, the characters that didn't get a lot of backstory or moments to really shine to me, this small little portion in the beginning, once again, is another example of why these shows are so important because it gives these characters just a chance to be like, wow, they, they so feel like a full fledged part of this MCU now, instead of to me, background characters. I mean, that's really been what Disney plus as a whole has been doing, right? We, we certainly have covered that with, um, you know, the Mandalorian episodes, how much more fleshed out some of these characters are than what they were given in the in the Star Wars films. Um, certainly, they've done a lot for many of those characters. We absolutely felt that way about Vision and Wanda uh, in WandaVision. Um, and we're really getting a chance to see more about Sam. We're getting a chance to see more about Bucky. Um, and we're even getting a little bit more about Zemo. Um, you know, I, I've been just uh, captivated by what Disney is doing with their Disney plus series. Um, and, and the way they've been able, it's, it's kind of, you know, we get this in comics a lot where we've got your mainline Avengers series, you know, you can, you, you can subscribe to that and it's got Iron Man and Thor and, and, you know, She-Hulk and, and, um, you know, Black Panther and Ghost Riders mixed in there now. And they go out and they fight, you know, they punch the big, big baddies. And every once in a while, you know, obviously the, the main A-list characters get their own, you know, 
title every month. And then every once in a while, you'll get like a short seven issue run of, of another character. You know, Falcon doesn't typically get his own run for very long periods of time in the comic. Obviously the time that he was Captain America, he had his own, he had his own run. And then Steve Rogers had his own Captain America, you know, run simultaneously. Um, but these, you know, they don't typically get like, you don't get a winter soldier line. Like that's just not something that gets published every month. Sometimes it'll, it'll get published as a short run miniseries, but he's not Deadpool. You know, he's not, Wolverine. He's not getting, he's not Iron Man. So it's kind of fun that the series are kind of working the same way as the comics that we get these little mini series that give some of these characters that aren't maybe your favorite character more of a chance to shine. And it's, it's really fascinating to see their characters get fleshed out more, their backstories, their motivations, just who they are as a character, give them a lot more space um, to become favorite characters, to all of a sudden really get into somebody and be excited for who's going to be the future um, of of the of the MCU, and it's it's awesome. But this opening scene, you're right, it's it's so good. Um, you know, Sebastian Stan, he just crushes at, in this opening scene. He's been, you know, both Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan have been just fantastic, just pitch perfect throughout this whole series. And and this opening scene, the emotion that is conveyed, um, I absolutely love it. And uh, it's, you, you're expecting fireworks at the end when we see the Dormelage come in right at the end of the last episode. Uh, and then to start this six years before, you know, this is all pre blip. Um, wow. It is, it is quite a way to start off. Yeah. Harrison, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that, that opening scene I had forgotten about and all that happens in this episode later on before I rewatched today in preparation for this episode that we're recording. You know, right? I'm thinking about the things that I want to talk about. I totally forgot about the opening until it started and it surprised me a second time. Uh, and the second time I was really moved emotionally. One of my favorite things about Bucky in the MCU is a story of redemption as someone who is constantly seeking for my own redemption in many ways. And, and, and as someone talking about myself who feels very flawed and, and feels like I need a lot of redemption uh, to see that. So incredibly portrayed by Sebastian Stan in a character that's so complex in a, in a way that it, it needs redemption is far beyond what I can understand. I was really just impacted by that. Like I said, that right. And then I think about later in the episode and it's just like big, bad action like and and to start with something so contrasted to that and have them flow so well together and be a part of a big coherent thing is just i'm really blown away with and i i had some expectations and some hopes going in for this series and especially after wandavision i expected to fall in love with sam wilson and bucky barnes more but i was expecting that it was going to be like a winter soldier type film meaning captain america and the winter soldier captain america 2 where it's just kind of like a big action blockbuster type thing. Uh, and to get those emotional beats, I'm really impressed with it. And I'm really enjoying because for a long time, Bucky Barnes has been one of my favorite, favorite characters in the comics, in the animated series as I watch, and in MCU. I know he's kind of like underrated. Or I wouldn't say underrated. Not anymore, definitely. But he was kind of under the radar, is I guess what I should say, is that he was there to notice if you wanted him to. But for the most part, he was just someone that you turned the page over. And so to have him get his, his time in the sun is is really, really fun for me. Yeah. Uh, again, it's just what they've been able to do and make these characters important is pretty incredible. So 
you know, we get the opening scene, which directly ties into leading into the ending of the previous episode where he is greeted uh, unceremoniously, so to speak. And, you know, the question is, how could you sit there after we helped you and release Zemo? And obviously he's a means to an end, but he's told he's got eight hours, which to me leads into, again, one of the things that's just great about this, because you can see both sides of this, because on one hand, when Sam Bucky and Zemo are talking, I understand Zemo's point, And I think he makes some very good points about Carly's too far gone. She can't be saved. I will see this through to the end, but are you guys going to like, once you're down this path, she's not going to turn back. Um, it's only going to end one way. Sam, on the other hand, is more of she can be saved. I can talk to her. And I just think it's a very, very interesting dynamic because, again, you know, the best villains are not just villains. They're people that you can sit there and understand why they would maybe do something. You're not going to agree with it, so to speak, but they're that's what was so to me interesting about Thanos was they made him believable. And because he believed so much in what he was trying to do, I didn't necessarily hate him. I just found him fascinating. It was Zemo. I'm finding him more and more fascinating as these episodes go along, just because of what he went through to make his conviction so strong because there's sometimes when he talks that he just he doesn't seem like a bad guy. He seems like somebody who's grieving. Um, Harrison, I'll let you go first on this one. Uh, where, what are your thoughts on the scene leading right after that opening montage? Just to make sure we're talking about the same one where the member of the Dormelage is speaking to Bucky. Yes. The alleyway. I thought it was really interesting, especially to actually like hear the words. He's a means to an end because like if there's one overarching theme that you can put over this whole episode, it's about the discussion. Does the end justify the means? At least I, I would say that. And right. So it's interesting to like hear that verbally said in an episode that so heavily talks about it. But it was also just so. Uh, yeah. I'm just kind of going to repeat what you said, but in different words, it just fleshes out all sides of the argument from every perspective, right? Of course, the Dormelage, the people with the job to protect the king of Wakanda are going to hold a grudge against Zemo. Of course, the people like Zemo are going to hold a grudge against super soldiers uh, and supers in general. It's just amazing to get all of it fleshed out, the entire argument. And, and I also just think it's... Uh, Kind of interesting to see it play out how Bucky just doesn't go and just throws him under the bus. Like, okay, we'll just give him the door melange. And just the the continually complex gray areas about this entire thing that's going on. Right? With the snap, with the blip, I'm sure there's a lot of things that I, I think it might be a lot easier for the the means to be justified by the end because things are confusing and things are really gray. I just love that that's so a part of it. Like a, a short conversation in an alleyway, fleshing everything out, um, I just think is awesome. And also to comment about what you said about Zemo being a great villain, and especially kind of as a foil to Sam, I think that the characters of Bucky, Sam, and Zemo are like the perfect trio in that they balance each other out in such great ways that it's fun when they're all moving together. That's why 
even with Rob's complaints, how he kind of ruined it last episode for me, like we joked about. <laughs> one of the reasons I loved it so much is that they were just like a fun team in their, their dynamics and the way that they contrasted and complement each other, uh, which is just, I think, again, great writing to have all of those sides of it fleshed out, including through this interaction in an yeah, Rob, same question to you. Where, where, you know, where did you think, you know, what did you think of where that conversation led? I, I thought it was really fascinating to give a chance for, for Zemo's thoughts and feelings to be a little more fleshed out. I, when we first meet him in Civil War, um, it's it's a basic revenge plot. Um, he doesn't care if he lives or dies at the end. He wants he wants vengeance for what's what's happened and and possibly to see that that never happens to anybody else again i think that's kind of a, a, a you know a, an a you know level or a, you know a, a sub a kind of priority under the main heading of of take out the avengers for what they've done to me and my family and i think we get a little more um you know, fleshing out of, of these ideas and, and what he believes and why he believes it. And I feel like the scene is played very evenly. It's written very evenly. We're not supposed to necessarily come away from it thinking that one of these guys is right. And one of these guys is wrong. Other than the fact that one of them is going to kill, you know, thousands of people in order to accomplish it. And, and certainly that's wrong, but I think, and, and this really, it, this is a theme that I think we really see throughout this series. I definitely felt it last week, and I, I absolutely felt it this week when we get to a later scene, uh, talking about you know my my grandfather served in World War II and, and all of those things. World War II was really one of the last times in human history we had true good guys and true bad guys. That's why there are so many first-person shooter video games that take place in World War II, because you can mow down as many Nazis as you want, and you won't feel bad about it at all. There was true evil on the planet. There were truly evil things happening unequivocally. You cannot say anything but pure, true evil that was happening. There's no defending it. It's awful. There was there was the, the allies and the Axis. The Axis were clearly wrong. And then when you get past World War II, we immediately roll into the Cold War. We immediately roll into Korea and Vietnam, at least in the United States, as far as our major conflicts. And we stop really having clear-cut good guys and bad guys because there's always more nuance to it. We don't have really another Holocaust where it's clear that somebody's a bad guy. And that's what's really been interesting about this show is you think about Captain America as a character that, that was created in World War II. You know, the very first time we think of him, he's on the cover of a comic book punching Hitler right in the face, you know, and that's and and that's what we get. We even get, you know, kind of a throwback to that in, in the Captain America first adventure film. And he's kind of this holdover from that time when when good and evil were pretty simple to figure out. It was pretty obvious who was who. Um and that's one of the things they're really playing with is, yes, we have people that are advocating for violence and, and killing innocent people as a means to their end. Um, and we're going to say that's bad, but it's there's more gray to it than that. You know, certainly their cause they believe is noble. And, and Sam even makes reference to it. Listen, I'm on your side. I want what you want, but I don't want it at the expense of people dying. Um it's that grayness that we see in the world since, you know, the end of 1945, really, through through present day. And I think that's what makes 
you know, this conversation specifically that we're referring to now, and as well as a, a very important conversation that happens later in this episode, so fascinating is um, just playing with the grayness, playing with the idea that good and evil is not as simple as just black and white. It, it doesn't exist that way in our world anymore. Um, certainly in, in here in the United States, and certainly I think across the world, there's a lot of people that would like it to be as simple as, well, if you believe like I believe, then you're good. And if you disagree with me, then you're bad. But it's never that simple. It, it really isn't. It's it's so much more gray. Um, and I think that's some of the, the real concepts of this series and this episode in particular that I really enjoyed. Yeah. I, one thing that with this scene, too, is when they're talking about, you know, Zemo thinks it's going to lead to a path where either Carly is going to kill Sam or Sam's going to have to kill Carly. And Steve says, well, maybe you're wrong because the serum never corrupted Steve. And again, it's just very simple. And then there's nothing else said about it afterwards. But Zemo just says, well, there's never been another Steve Rogers has there. And I like the fact that even Zemo could recognize how special like Steve was, how it was amazing that he didn't get corrupted and he stayed true. Um, and never lost control because there's a scene that's very similar at the end of this episode that's very similar to a situation in Civil War where Steve looks like he might lose his cool and could go for a fatal blow and does not take it. Um, He realizes what's happening and he makes a different decision. So I, I just thought that was actually really cool that even Zemo could recognize how special Steve was and why, you know, he was Captain America and why it seems, again, so wrong to have somebody else have the shield and have the mantle of Captain America. Um, minus Sam, who I still feel in this episode shows further and further that he deserves it. Uh, anything that you guys want to follow up with on, on just that little comment that Zemo makes? I, I have 100% to say that, right, Matt. Oh, sorry to interrupt you, Rob, but I was going to say, I, I <laughs> love that even Zemo acknowledged Steve, but I also love the camera work in that moment, how after Zemo talks about it, the, the focus that it has on Sam. And I think this is just, right, breaking my rule of creating theories, that <laughs> Sam, <laughs> Sam is going to take up the shield or take back the shield or whatever. He's going to take the mantle of Captain America because of Zemo, right? Not not because Zemo is the best person ever, but I think because he understands what Zemo just said that there's not there hasn't been another person like Captain America, and clearly somebody like Captain America would take the responsibility of passing on that legacy to somebody who he could trust. And I thought it was interesting. I've been thinking a lot about Sam the Falcon. He was on a jog, just a regular army vet on a jog and now look at it like, like it, it went from he was on a jog he got passed on his left a few times then he's you know fighting thanos like holy progression but clearly from the beginning the relationship that steve so immediately had with sam was because he liked him and trusted him as a person before he knew anything else about him there was something about his person that con- connected the character of steve rogers to sam and i i love matt as well that you brought up that moment in civil war the exact same position as John Walker as well. The same way he's holding the shield, everything. I just love that you brought that up because I thought about that as well. I've been thinking about what, uh, now I'm forgetting his name, uh, Dr. Erkins, Erkstein said to him that 
you know, he's not a, he's not a perfect soldier, but he's a good man. And that's why Steve was right for the serum. I think John Walker is a great soldier. And the way he acts is as a soldier. Every single time he's a soldier where Sam acts as a good man and maybe a soldier second or less. I don't, I don't know what order you want to put it in, but it, it's just interesting to see those two things, a perfect soldier and a, and a good man, and the foils that they are to each other is just great. I, I don't know. Like that one line that, you know, kind of meant something cool, but could have been a throwaway now leading to the entire conflict. And it's just great. And it's so fun to enjoy in this series because uh, clearly we care about these characters after this long time. But like we've talked about the beginning, like these are complex ideas that are, it's cool to be able to have these characters be an allegory for these ideas that have relevance, have importance in the real world. You know, uh, it's interesting you mentioned he's a good soldier, Harrison. I think it's one of the things that's continued to surprise me is is they give John Walker like free reign. Like he's running his own team. It doesn't really seem like he reports in anybody or that he is accountable to anybody. Um, You know, he certainly comes across as a good soldier who really needs a good general to command him because he is not capable of making those decisions in the moment or, or ha- keeping the cool that your, your kind of control person who's sitting at the computer or back in the tent, you know, at base commanding the operation uh, would have, you know, that, that's supposed to keep the operators that are on site um, from overreacting or, or overplaying a situation and, um, you know, giving them permission and giving them the green light to move forward. Uh, I think it's a great analogy that you made. Yeah, I think that... Uh... Yeah, so Harrison, the, the next question I want to have you start off because, Carly, you're a big fan of the actress in general, but she still falls a little flat for me. And one thing in particular that I really wasn't a fan of is when uh, she is talking with what looks like maybe like number two in the group. Um And he talks about how, you know, people need a leader and they need someone that looks like them and understands. And he says, you know, what we're doing here will outlast the legacy of the shield. Uh, That's not directly related to her. I thought that was I don't know. I thought that was a weird bit of dialogue because I don't think she's earned anything even remotely close to that. But again, some of her performance this week, it still just falls a little flat to me and she's not totally believable. So. What do you think about these scenes that we get with her where she's talking about, you know, before we get to her and Sam's conversation, because I thought that was really good, just the events leading up to that first confrontation? Yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack. I think that one of the reasons that I really like is I just I think Aaron Kellyman has a, just a great screen presence. But I do kind of agree that there's some faltering going on with maybe the way that the stakes involved around the Flag Smashers have to be elevated a little bit to be a good... so that they can can walk in pace with the, the scope of what's happening with, quote, the shield, so to speak, right? There's this big conflict going on over here. We've got to raise the stakes over here. So I think there's some dialogue that does feel a little bit awkward that's trying to create that, which I think causes the character to fall a little flat. So it's more just like the actual actor's screen present than it is the character. But I do think that the character is interesting to see how 
that guy that you're talking about, that second person, Dovich, and then even the guy that I'm sure we're going to talk about, Nico, uh, mm-hmm. how, how they are so, like, almost naive. Not, no, no, actually, let me take it back. Wrong word. How they're almost more optimistic than her, right? That she's like, we got to take the people down. Like that scene where they're listening to the radio where they realize that they killed someone who was a father of a young family. He just started his job. Clearly, they're destroyed by knowing what they just caused. Uh, And she seems almost more affected by their response to it than her own response to it, which I just think Mm -hmm. that is just an interesting, uh, uh, again, gray and kind of darker gray character uh, in in difference to this Dovich and and Nico guy and, and almost their optimism in that that these ends, what they're working towards is good and that they want to accomplish it in a good way where she's just like, she's so passionate about achieving her goal that whatever it takes, uh, she's a little twisted by it. So it's, I I still love the character. I think it's really interesting, uh, but I do agree with you. There's some moments where the dialogue is trying to force the stakes to be a little bit more that make it feel clunky. Rob, what are your feelings on that? I think, I think Harrison sum that up pretty well with it's sometimes forced that they seem more elevated than maybe what the show has, has shown us. Yeah. Listen, I think Harrison said it as, as well, better than I could have possibly come up with, you know, another example that sort of jumped out to me of maybe some clunky writing. um, There's, there's a line in that, in this scene that you're referring to Matt, where the uh, character that Carly speaking with says, if you're doing something and it makes you scared, the, the guy's grandfather told him this story. And, and I think he specifically refers to the fact that his grandfather fought the Nazis. So that's supposed to mean something like, oh, he was a World War II vet. So that somehow makes him, you know, a sage on these matters. But he, he says, if you're doing something and it makes you scared, you're probably doing something right. Listen, I can think of a lot of things that would make me scared. I could go to John Jones' house and make fun of him to his face And that would scare the crap out of me. And that doesn't make it right. It would just make me a guy who's about to get punched in the face by a former UFC champion. Like that. It's such a stupid line. It's so dumb. Like the, my first watch through, I was like, ugh, like, Oh, come on. (laughs) Like, and then the second watch through, I hated it just as much. Like it's, it's kind of lazy writing. Like Harrison said to elevate stakes that maybe aren't quite earned yet. Um, the, the stakes are already there. We don't need weird dialogue um, to to have impact there. Like there's so many, that scene really needed rewritten, I think. Um, you know, it just, it didn't really work. And and I'm actually conflicted about I, what I think is probably the next scene we're, we're going to get to. Um, I, I'm conflicted about how to feel about it. I, I got to uh, say real quick, Rob, I, that one scene you're talking about where they're at the grave, that one line that you mentioned, I think, kind of ruined the entire scene that could have been really great and could have made that ending so much more it, that the, the precursor to it was ruined by this weird line that was like, what? Like, just because you're afraid of something, it's suddenly good? Like, what? how's that match? So. Yeah, I could jump out of a plane without a without a parachute on, and that doesn't make it right. That just <laughs> makes me a wet mark on the ground. Like, it's, it's so dumb. Yeah. Uh, Rob, why don't you, I, I mean, where are you going next? What is, what scene are you having some trouble with? Because you brought it up. I'm sure it's the next thing that we're talking about. So go ahead, kick us, kick us off with this. Well, 
So we get to um, pre-scene before that. Um, <laughs> we see John Walker and, and Lamar confront uh, our heroes three. And he's, it's so weird to me because he's, he, he says to them exactly, do you think two Avengers can just walk around Latvia? Yes. Yeah, so not just two Avengers, but two guys clearly in like full on 4th of July level USA, red, white, and blue. And he's got the shield like, I mean, he actually gets recognized at a coffee shop without the gear on, let alone what would he look like with the gear? So these guys are just walking around Avengers and an international terrorist, which is one of the things that I've had issue with uh, for the last two episodes. If these guys are just casually walking around like, oh, God, it's just it it bothers me. Um, so then we get to the next scene where Sam is going to go in on his own and he's going to have this conversation with Carly. I wasn't sure how I felt about it the first time. I was really hoping I would be able to have a, have a feeling for how I actually felt about this scene. What's interesting is we've not we've seen good guys confronting bad guys before in a non-confrontational way. There's no guns, no swords, no armor, no rockets, no machine guns, you know, no no weapons nearby. They're they're gonna have a talk first. The fight comes later. We've seen that, but we've never seen it like this, where Sam, our protagonist, is really trying to get on the level with our antagonist and and is really trying to understand and, and really trying to help this person, not just cause the end of the conflict, but really try to help this person, this human being, try to reach this person as another human speaking to a human. And I found that compelling, even if I'm not sure if I, how I really feel about this scene. It, I don't know if I love it or hate it. And, and that's kind of weird for me. So I'm kind of hoping you guys can tell me if I should love it or hate it. Ooh. Harrison, why don't you, uh, well, hang on a second. You're at, you don't listen to us about the last Jedi. So I don't understand why <laughs> we're, <laughs> we got it in early. Trying to convince you of anything. We got it. Boom. If uh, for all the listeners at home playing the Matt goes to the movie drinking game, you know what to do. Uh, Harrison, Uh, why don't you go first? Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say you should love it. Uh, But that's just my opinion about it. I I thought it, of course, what you said, seeing Sam as right to use the popular nomenclature, a human talking to another human and that it's a human interaction. And that's, that's the biggest part of it. I thought was really interesting. I was like you, I was trying to remember like when was the last time I was watching like a big action movie where I saw the protagonist and the antagonist have like a genuine heartfelt conversation with one another as like two people besides just like big ideas and personalities clashing together. Like one of my favorite things, the quotes is from Transformers, the last night, say about that movie where uh, Merlin, he's played by his, uh, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he's, he's talking to the Transformers. He's like, ah, oh, big personalities clashing together. Ah, oh! It's just like a hilarious scene that I quote because like in action movies, it's big personalities clashing together and you see all that taken away, you know, in, in the promotions before this series started, Sam was in the, the, the uh, Falcon suit pretty much almost through the entire promotion period. Now we're in the actual series. He's in the suit maybe like 20% of the time and to see that taken away and to see him not just be the Falcon, but to be Sam it is really, really interesting. And then to foil back to uh, 
John Walker, who's like, we got to go in there. We got to go in there. Like 10 minutes, you're going to give someone 10 minutes to build a connection that can lead to a good solution, not just for the world, but for a person. Like you're going to give someone 10 minutes to do that. Uh, I just loved all of it. The, the writing for Sam, the writing for Carly, the writing for John, and the way that they're all mixing together, uh, making some kind of evil concoction. It's just really interesting, and I love that they, they're letting the heroes do this. They're letting Sam Wilson be the person who would do that, right? Because what does he know? What if, what if uh, Carly just punches him and he turns up like someone else later in the episode? He, he, he doesn't know that, but what he knows is that he's going to make an effort, and I just I, I love it. Even if there's our flaws in the writing in the moment when they're interacting, maybe very few. I only had some on rewatch. Uh, the idea that that scene now exists, I just love. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of good in the scene. I do think it showcases Walker's inability to be anything but a soldier with just, I want to go in, but it's kind of like, you know, he has Lamar who is like, you know, maybe we should wait and like, let's just hold it out. Um, which I'll get into him a little bit more later, but obviously we we all three of us will. But I thought it was good. I specifically really like the part where, and I can't remember the exact line, but as Sam is talking to Carly about, you know, Zemo thinks you're an extremist and, you know, you'll kill me or I'll have to kill you. And I can't remember the line, but he says something to her and she immediately goes to the saying, like, she sounds like a supremacist. And he goes, wow. And she's like, no, I didn't, like, I, I didn't mean it like that. You tricked me. Well, I didn't take it as really tricking her. In a way it is, but, like, he's showing her, if you're not doing this with a level head, you know, or you are trying to go down this path, like, that's how quickly it can turn. And before you know it, you're on a path that you didn't think you were going to be on. And how do you turn back from that once you're actually there? So I like that a lot. I thought it was a really good piece of writing, even though I can't remember the exact line. So I thought the scene was really, really well done and emotional, but it makes me have issue with a scene later on where she actually calls Sam's sister and threatens her where even though like Walker came through, I I really felt that you could tell that it was Walker who did that. And it wasn't Sam's plan to not talk to her. So I I felt it was just a little odd for her to sit there, call Sam's like sister, threaten her. And then when Sam goes to talk to her again, he, she's like, Oh, you have to understand. I would never hurt her. Like, give me a break. Then why did you have to do this? Uh, The other thing I didn't like about the scene is one of the most cliche used lines in history. When Sam says, I know what it's like to lose people. And she's like, not like Um, this. You like, (laughs) yeah, not like this. You don't like, give me like, give me a break. Like if I lose half of my Kit Kat down the drain and you lose half of your Kit Kat because the wind blew it out of your hand, like, we both don't have a Kit Kat. Like, that's just how it goes. Like, like nobody cares. I mean, but, to be fair, I would care about losing a Kit Kat. I would feel terrible for you because that's like literally my favorite candy bar. 
Right, yeah, like, it would be tragic, but it wouldn't make it any less tragic how it happened. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I just, I hate that whenever somebody says, well, you don't know pain like this. Like, just give me, give me a break. Like, stop. Um, it's, it's terrible writing when we see pain and sorrow in kind of a dick measuring contest. Like, right. really? Like, ugh, it, it, when's the last time that we saw that on screen and it worked? Because I'm pretty sure it's never. Yeah. I mean, and we keep seeing it, <laughs> right? Uh, Harrison, any any other thoughts on and Rob yours too? You know, the fact that she was so quick to kind of pass off Sam, like again, I just I didn't like that transition of she's willing to talk, and then it's I'm going to threaten your sister, and then it's well, I didn't mean it. I I was just I had to see like there was other ways to see if Sam was legit. I, I again, I felt that was kind of forced. Yeah, so um, I, I definitely felt that was weird. Like, she had to call Sarah. She couldn't just, like, slide into Sam's DMs. Like, there's a 100 million ways she could have gotten to him to say, hey, uh, meet me here. Let's have a conversation. Because he shows up in full Falcon gear because he's ready to go. And he was he's ready to throw down when what she really wanted was was a conversation to continue the conversation. So she threatens his sister. She threatens his nephews to have a regular conversation like there is much fun as I'm having with this series. Um, there's definitely times that uh, sometimes the writing just doesn't hold up to the fun that we're having on screen. Um you know, I think some of the writing issues that I have, you know, just even like the way John Walker is written, I literally think anytime he's in a scene, the writers look at each other and say, okay, what is the most douchebaggery thing we can possibly have him do at this moment in time? And they take turns coming up with, nope, that's not douchey enough. How about this? Yep, that's appropriately douchey. Write it. Don't go back. Just write it. Like, that's literally what it feels like how they write John Walker at times. Yeah. Harrison thoughts. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that it's, it seems like I think part of the reason is that it's a series that's happening in six short episodes and there's a lot that's happening that it feels like it's trying to be crammed in, in a short amount of time. Cause I will say, I'll, I'll take the other side of the fence and say, I think that Carly's it, it's consistent with Carly's character. This moving at a very fast speed. So it feels unnatural to like our, I would say our rational processing of emotions. But I would say that Carly clearly is getting deeper and deeper in justifying her means for her end. And I also think that when someone's going through difficult emotions like grief and also feels like a deep passion towards something, there, there's almost – I don't know if you guys feel this way. Maybe me and Carly just connect. Maybe that's why I like her. I don't know. Not that I want to have anyone die. <laughs> Let me clarify. Um, but uh, that – when those emotions are so big inside you, it feels like the steps you have to take to get attention have to be that big as well. It's almost like your entire way of thinking is elevated to unhealthy measures. I've definitely seen that in my own ways. Like, I can't think of any examples right now, but when you're trying to get attention and you're feeling these huge, big, large emotions that you're probably not the best at processing – your way to seek out that attention is probably in a pretty stupid way, in a very impulsive, irrational, dumb way. But I do think that we're seeing like that realistic reaction just really accelerated because the episodes are so short. 
And I do love that Sam reacted by showing up in like full Falcon gear with Bucky in like full Winter Soldier gear. I thought it was awesome. Like, yeah, this guy's ready to throw down. Like, you don't you don't mess with his family. And I just loved Sam's reaction. Like, I feel like his reactions are just so genuine, uh, which makes me love him even more. Yeah, he he totally does. Everything that he does feels very genuine and like it. Him and Bucky, I do feel, you know, they have stayed super consistent where every reaction that they have to me seems like it's just gone with how the characters are going from episode to episode to episode. So I do really like how they have just grown throughout this series so far. It's just really fascinating to watch. But Rob, you you mentioned you know, John Walker and obviously his huge moment comes at the end of this episode, which we'll get to, but I think there is some credit to be had about how they are writing him because it just makes you like, to me, it does make you realize again, like this guy who is literally again, like Harrison said it, he's, a almost perfect soldier because they even like make reference to that. Like he's just a soldier through and through. He's gotten so many medals. He's done this. He's done that. Like that's a soldier. Like, I don't know. They don't talk about what kind of person he is. Like certainly he has this friend, but you don't really get to know him outside of a soldier level. So I think even though the writing makes him seem very like, oh my God, but it's because he doesn't know how to be any other way. And when he comes in and demands after we find out that, well, he's got a vial of the serum and he comes back in and demands that they hand over Zemo again, like he can't stop for two seconds and understand that like at the end of the day, it's not, like Zemo's fault that everything just went downhill. It's his fault because he rushed in there. He was stupid. He didn't want to stick to the plan because again, he doesn't know how to stick to the plan. If it's not being a soldier going in there, accomplishing the mission, um, maybe based on force, because that's what he's had to do. He can't just sit back. So I think they're writing him well in the sense of that's how his character is. But this is the scene that I was talking about with Bucky where again, I thought this was a really good, like little small, like in tight quarters fight scene. But for me, what was really great about this was one, just kind of watching Zemo kind of inch off in the background and be like, well, see you later. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like really just getting out of there was when Bucky gets his arm detached to me, the look on his face was just almost like pure sadness. And Sam says, did you know they could do that? And he said, no, I I just, I took that scene to mean that he was really, to me, he was hurt that there was still a fail safe in place to kind of like immobilize him. Uh, Harrison, I'll let you go first. What, What did you think about this scene in general? Uh, the over cockiness of John Walker when they told him, like, I, I wouldn't do it, buddy. Like, don't mess with them. Um, and his realization at the end, I thought was really good, too, with his line of 
they weren't even super soldiers. Like, wow, I'm so far behind the game right now. It's not even funny. Um, what did you think of this? Oh, I'm so glad we're talking about this scene. This is one of my favorites. Just the entire thing from the moment the door, or from the moment John Walker walks in to the door, Melage. There's so many things that I could talk about in this scene. Uh, just to go in order in the way my brain's thinking, even though you asked me about Bucky, which I'll get to, I just I'll forget if I don't go in order. I love that <laughs> John Walker introduces himself and he says, "Hi, John Walker, Captain America." Like the Captain America, he never leaves out. And yep. <laughs> we know how Steve Rogers introduced himself, even when he was talking to a tree of all things. <laughs> I am Steve Rogers. <laughs> like the difference in those characters. It, wow, that's great. Like that's such great writing. Um, that's one thing I just got to say about this, this series is when the writing lands, it lands so well for me. But there's, of course, there's, like we talked about, those low points. Uh, that I just had to mention that. But to get, I, I love the fight scene in the tight corridors. I loved how the Dora Milaje weren't just trying to, like, demolish everyone, even though they probably could. Like, the way that one of them threw the spear to just kind of, you know, disarm John Walker with his shield, right? It, it just the total different intentions in each character. The way that Sam and Bucky are just trying to, like, calm down everything and not really get involved I, I just thought was great but then to see bucky lose his arm i think like you said it's probably devastating to go through some well i think there's two parts of it that well, probably there's a lot that he was feeling but the two things that i latched on is what you said you're trying to go through some type of redemption you're trying to be better than this winter soldier machine you were and you finally feel this freedom that people around you can trust you, that you're worthy of freedom, that you're worthy of, uh, of trust. And to have that almost like, well, we don't quite trust you yet. There's still a fail safe, right? There's still this expectation that you might not be good enough. Like, oh my gosh, that would be so hard after all he's been through. Like you said, the other thing that I latched onto is that for so long, he was under the control of someone else. And I think that he, in, a, in, like, in addition to the redemption thing and being worthy of trust, there's also probably a little bit of like independence that he doesn't want to be somebody else's tool that can be manipulated for good or bad by somebody else. He wants to be Bucky Barnes, and he just wants to be Bucky Barnes. He doesn't want to be Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, or Bucky Barnes with the vibranium arm that can be controlled by a Wakandan. Like, I, I think that there's probably two parts of it that's like, Ah, like I'm still not there to this level of redemption. I know I'm going to say that word a lot, but as something that I'm always constantly experiencing in my own life, I can't help but see the way that it's ex expressed through the character of Bucky, and I and I love that moment, and and like almost like just the disappointment when he realizes that they could disarm him. Literally, <laughs> I, I thought it was great. Yeah, Rob, your thoughts. Um, you know, I think that was, was brilliantly said. And when, when the Dora Milaje show up, I mean, it's just awesome. I mean, throughout the MCU, we've seen a whole bunch of them so far, and we have yet to see a single one of them give a single damn about anything other than Wakanda. I mean, they just show up. They care nothing. They're just going to crush you. If that is absolutely what they must do, they will not care about it at all. They are going to do what they're going to do. You will not stop them. I mean, I just absolutely love these characters. Um, give me a whole series of them just doing whatever. Like, I, I will watch that. I will, I will happily dig right into that. Throw Shuri in a little bit 
it's going to be awesome. Um, I just love them so much. Um, and then when the fight is over and John just casually, casually gets handed back his shield and she just kind of walks away is among, for me, the most badass moments in the entire history of the MCU. It is so just uh, cold, just ice cold, really, is what it is. And it's fantastic. Um, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, and, and once again, you know, it's the little subtle moments, uh, like, like Harrison was talking about. You know, you, you see what Bucky's reaction is to losing the arm and and in just a moment and, and there, he has another moment like this too i want to say it was in the first episode no it's the second episode where he has the shield and he casually gives it back to john walker um but he has a reaction to it you can see that meant something to him to have to give it back in the middle of that fight scene um what we're seeing with Sebastian Stan in just these small moments that aren't dialogue necessarily and, and blink and you'll miss it sometimes um, are really adding to the fun of this series of, of really seeing these characters have a moment to shine on their own. Yeah, they really do. And, you know, this scene here where John Walker gets, handed back the shield and he just realizes you know where where he kind of stands on the totem pole so to speak with some of these other <laughs> <laughs> these other heroes and whatnot it you know it's kind of obvious what's going to happen but the one thing that I did not like is I also, cause it felt very forced and very cheesy dialogue. I did not like the conversation that leads to him, you know, really actually taking the serum. I, I thought a lot of those lines were forced and like, Oh, well imagine how many lives we would have saved. Had we had that serum and like, what would you do? And I just, I don't know. I felt like a lot of that didn't really sit with me. Um, I understand why he would take it, but again, like, I don't know, maybe because I don't really care. Um, I, I just don't care for his partner. And one of my friends said to me, especially, you know, coming up to the scene that we're getting to, like, you don't have to care about him. You just have to understand why John would. Uh, but to me, again, it's like, well, we should both care. Like I, I should care that this is what's going like, he's the reason why John would get pushed over the edge. And, you know, similar to how it was before we had this show, there wasn't a lot of back with Sam and, you know, Steve to me that, or Bucky and Steve, that was like, oh yeah, they're so connected to each other. Um, Rob, what, what did you think about their dialogue about, you know, taking the serum and what would, you know, how many things they could have done differently? You know, I think it's supposed to be there to give a little bit more dialogue. I think for as much as I've complained about some of the writing of Walker and that he's he feels kind of one dimensional to me at times. Um, you know, I think this scene was supposed to humanize him a little bit and make what's about to happen next feel like a logical conclusion the scene doesn't really blow me away. Um, I kind of wish they would have done it 
you know, they could have accomplished the same thing they were trying to accomplish, but I think there was a, other ways they could have done it that would have made things more interesting. And, and frankly, Matt, to your point, make us care more about Lamar, uh, considering what's about to happen to him um, and, and the scenes that are going to come next and, and have that actually mean something more than, oh, well, I guess we won't see him again. Like that, that was really, I, I really, I had no reaction to his death. Um, I have some thoughts on that moment. Uh, but as far as my actual reaction to it, eh, oh, well, you know, like it could have, we could have had more. Yeah. Um, Harrison, what, what do you think about that scene? And I, I'll have a follow-up question here. Yeah, I thought that the scene in the cafeteria, if I were to put it as simple as it can, was to make it obvious that John Walker is going to take the serum for the people that wouldn't just like guess that he was going to, you know, like that was kind of like, all right, everybody, he's going to take it. Uh, <laughs> and also try it. Like Rob said, to, to make him a little more fleshed out. It, it feels uh, very soldiery, which is on brand for the two of them, but it doesn't go very far in. Well, actually I'll say this. I think that it, to me, it, it makes them very soldiery, in a lot of ways, but especially in that, like, they don't feel like they have much, like, brotherhood beyond just, like, we've been through something together that no, no one else can, right? But it's not like we're best buds type of thing. Like, mm -hmm. we're co-workers, and because we have shared experiences, of course, there's, like, a relationship, but there's not, like, a... You get what I'm saying? Uh, the difference between the two, right. the two of those? Because, like, I'm thinking about a scene earlier that I just have to mention because I loved it, but to go back way before John Walker comes into their little house, wherever they're staying, uh, Buck or Bucky's gone and Sam and Zemo are talking and Zemo saying how like super soldiers can't be allowed to exist. And Sam says something like, well, if that's how you feel, what about Bucky? And I love that Zemo doesn't respond to it, but just the fact that Sam would say that about Bucky, even though they don't have the best relationship, there's almost like a, there's a genuine care and love for one another that you can feel between the two of them even though it's a little bit uh, humorous and, and, and uh, competitive at times. But then the, the, it, it's almost, yeah, I'm, I'm dragging out a long thought to say it's, it made both of them just feel more and more, going back to uh, Lamar and John, it just made him feel more like a soldier. Not a very, really strong scene, almost just kind of like a shoot, uh, uh, almost like a just necessary to avoid nuance scene. Yeah, yeah, I can I, I can definitely see that. Rob, you mentioned it. Uh, the big scene that leads to the ending of this episode is Lamar gets killed. And aside from not really caring that he gets killed just because we don't have a lot to go on this guy, like even not even having a lot to go off of. He's never really, if you like look back, he's not really involved in the action except for that one scene where they're on top of the truck. A anything else that really has happened in these episodes, he's always like behind. He doesn't really do a lot. Um, so that was another reason why I had a hard time being like, Oh geez, like that, that really stinks. But at the same time, I was a little taken back by Carly's reaction to it because like, 
you think that Walker and this guy are somebody who wants to stop you. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to let you go. Maybe Sam will, but Captain America and his buddy, you know, they want you. They want to take you in. They want to put you in prison, whatever the case may be. Um, And you had no remorse about killing people that were blown up in the building. Like you literally said, violence is the only language these people understand. So, I was kind of taken back by the fact that she seemed so like, oh no, what happened? Because to me, it didn't line up with some of the other things that she did. But maybe I missed something in between. Like maybe it's something Sam said to her during their conversation. But uh, before we get into the big how this affects John, it, Harrison, did you see something there that I didn't as to why Carly would react the way that she did? Uh, my thoughts were kind of two pointed that first it's different to like set a bomb and then walk away than to like do something with your hands and see it. So immediately, I think what kind of changed the reaction, but also like she, I don't think she intended for that result. So it was almost like a little bit of shock. Like that's, you know, like there's a difference between intentionally hurting someone and like knowing like, okay, they're hurt versus accidentally hurting someone and being shocked that they're hurt. So I think that kind of led the reaction. I also think that the second part is that everybody in the room, including Sam and Bucky understand the character of John Walker. And they were like, Oh no, like it just hit the fan. Let's get out of here. Like I, I just love that moment that everybody understood that. Sure. We don't really get Lamar. We get so little of him that like, that moment for the character of Lamar doesn't mean very much. That moment for the character of John, it does mean a lot in the point of like, this guy's one moral compass is now gone and you just pushed him that much further over the edge. So it's like two part that one, you just did something to him that pushed someone crazy over the edge that doesn't know how to hold back and usually immediately goes towards violence. You pushed him over the edge. And two, the person who keeps him from falling over the edge is now out of the picture and is the very reason that he's over the edge. Uh, I love that all the characters, the reaction to me felt more like, not like, oh no, I killed someone, but like, oh no, I just caused a bomb to go off inside of John Walker type of thing. That that's what I got from it. Gotcha. Rob, what did you, what did you pick up on in that, in that scene? Um, so I, I appreciate where Harrison's coming from. Certainly, um, you know, talking about Carly as somebody that it's, it, it definitely, it's less personal to push a button and make a bomb go off and kill somebody than it is to actually get the blood on your own hands. Um, to me, Carly has kind of presented herself as somebody who's fine with both. Um, you know, she certainly at least talks that game. Um, it, it I, I, to me, I, <laughs> The way I watched it, I hated it on my first uh, watch through. On the second one, I felt the exact same way. It's where the stakes at this point, the fight that is happening, um, they're not pulling punches. These are these are killing blows that are being thrown. There are, you know, one of the things that I do kind of. I'm going to go ahead and ruin this for everybody right now. Um, Throughout this series, one of the things that really bothers me and it stands out just super obvious to me is it is really bizarre when they choose to use guns and when they choose not to use guns. Like clearly the times they don't use guns are when the fight is supposed to be hand to hand and, you know, maybe shield to knife and stuff like that. But 
it feels really out of place when there aren't guns in most of these fights going on. And it, it just, it continues to be weird to me. And, and Walker even makes a joke kind of about it where he's like, what's with all the knives? Like, well, cause that's, what's convenient for this scene. Like the, the knife work, the, the attacks that are happening are intended to kill. Like there's, to me, it, it felt like that was intentional. Like that when they killed him, they succeeded in something they were trying to do. It felt very much earlier when Carly was talking that she had every intention of killing Captain America to kill the symbol, destroy the shield, and and send a message with that death. I, I really felt like that's what she wanted to accomplish. And then they all stopped trying to kill one another to acknowledge that one of them succeeded in trying to kill one of the others. And it just felt like... You know, it's this re- it's this needle being dragged across the record moment where everybody stops and acknowledges, oh hey, we were we were all trying to like kill each other, and oh hey, look at that, it actually happened. Well, time for us to get out of here. Like it just, I, it felt very strange. Like if that was your goal, and I believe that it was, um, and there's still more super soldiers against John Walker than there are for him. Um, it felt like that. It, it just didn't work for me. All right. Well, let's talk about if this scene worked. What is the feeling on how this episode ends? Because now there's no going back. Uh, John Walker snaps and he doesn't just again, it's he doesn't just hit this guy. He pulverizes this guy and it's To me, it's a very powerful scene and one where it I become anticipated for the fact that like Sam and Bucky realize what has happened. They they don't get there in time. John has killed one of the Flag Smashers in broad daylight and really after just seems to he doesn't try to leave. He doesn't do anything like he stands there and then he casually like puts his shield back. Like it's like putting your cart in the, in the corral at the grocery store. He's just like, boom, job done. I'm moving on. And it's like, wow, this, you know, this is what Zemo's talking about with once you're like, once you're a super soldier and once you're down here, like this is why they can't exist. And, I'm very interested to see where this episode starts in relation to are Sam and Bucky going to go directly after him? Are they going to try and talk to him? Like, how do you sit there and just let him walk away if you're Sam and Bucky after what you just witnessed? Um, Rob, I'll let you go first. How does this scene work for you? Um, whew, it's... Um... You know, we kind of started this off by saying, man, it gets real heavy. Um, there's some there's some real action happening. There's real ideas. Uh, you know, kind of when we first started, Harrison was sort of curious about what it was like to watch this with kids. And um, yeah, you know, it, it put them off a little bit. Um, for you think about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything we get with it. I mean, this is this is the land of talking trees and raccoons like that's we have that and then we also have this dude smashing somebody's face in with the shield um and basically covering it in blood and bits of brain and and whatever else um they yeah it was 
I'm not sure I would have necessarily let them watch this had I watched it first before letting them uh, uh, see it too. I might have just skipped this part. I might have just paused it, sent them to bed and said, yeah, he kills this guy and it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> um, this is this is the point of no return. Um, things are going to start happening in motion. And what's what's been kind of interesting throughout this series to me is is the loyalties that people show one another who are enemies and, uh, you know, trying to find fig- really figure out why this person is truly helping this and, and and watching those those alliances flex a little bit, not necessarily always understanding why somebody is agreeing to be in an alliance with others um, after this. And, and certainly um, with all of the cell phones that are rolling all through this, it will be very difficult for Sam and Bucky to back the, you know, their fellow American at this point um, who carries the shield of their friend, uh, a man and, a, and, a, and an icon to many um, it's going to be really hard for them to kind of back this guy. Um, and I, and I really think the, the ending of this is once again um, intended to be evocative of things that we are seeing in our world right now. Uh, you know, a symbol of America uh, killing somebody uh, who's not armed uh, with lots of cell phone cameras rolling the whole time. Uh you may have heard something about this in the news recently. That might be a thing that people are talking about currently. Um, so I think it's supposed to, I think it's supposed to make people feel something about this. Um, this, this is going to be uh, a major event that will, will definitely impact the rest of how this series plays out. Harrison, where does this land for you? Wow. Um, I wasn't expecting him to go this far with the character of U.S. agent. Um, the U.S. agent does some pretty stupid things in the comics, and I wasn't prepared to see him be this stupid. Uh, if it fit, as soon as Lamar died, I had some idea that the title "The Whole World Watching" was going to mean something pretty heavy here pretty soon. Uh, but when the character of U.S. Agent was introduced, I had no idea that they were going to do this. And I'm really glad that they did for part of the reason that Rob said, but also for further – one of the reasons that I love Captain America the Winter Soldier is kind of like Rob talked about earlier. If you can take a black and white character like Captain America who literally just punched Nazis when it was clear there is a bad and there is a good. And then challenge him with moral complexity in a modern, digital, complicated, evolving world like you do in Falcon and the Winter, or not Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And to have someone try to still stand upright morally in that confusion, I, I think is one of the great things that that film has going for it. And continuing that with what we are getting now. And there's a moment where I just loved the cinematography. There's an upward angle where the camera's down low and it's pointing up at John Walker, which normally is like a power uh, camera angle that you show someone in power, someone whose stature is really large and they have a large presence and it's, it's meant to evoke power. And almost like fl- it definitely evokes power in a negative way, but flipping that where that 
I, I don't even know how to explain it. That, that upward angle, there's blood dripping off the shield. He kind of just locks it back, like you said, Matt, putting his shopping cart back. And, and just the cinematography just really nailed those, um, those feelings that you should be feeling home. Uh, it worked. It was devastating to see. It worked well for me. And one of the saddest things to me was that that character that died uh, by the shield his name is Nico, and he's the character whose grandpa was a World War II vet. And it, I, I think about this. I'm probably dragging way more out of this than most people do. But this is what really, really affected me. Is This guy talks about how he liked Captain America, which I would assume is because of what his grandpa told him about Captain America as a World War II veteran. In World War II, Captain America was someone that you idolized, that you looked up to. He was the good of the good. And he did a lot of good within the MCU in World War II. And so to have someone who experienced that and had an icon like Captain America pass that on to a grandson who is then innocently, unfairly, brutally killed by that same shield. Like that is just, oh my gosh, my, my stomach turns right now just saying those words out loud. Like, oh my goodness, this is, this is horrible. Someone did that. Like, like that's now part of the, the history of the MCU um, and has some serious heaviness. But it's also really interesting, kind of like Rob talked about, how are Sam and Bucky going to react to this? Well, how the heck is the U.S. government going to react to this? Clearly, they're going to see footage of this. And I'm really interested to see what the series does about that, if anything. And I also think it'd be interesting to kind of explore the mindset of John Walker, right? Does he feel any sense of remorse or regret? Does he recognize that that was a moment of rage where he severely misstepped not that that is like okay you're, you feel bad for it like you're good to go no that doesn't change what happened but i'm curious to see what his mindset is about the whole thing and i thought it was a very if you're going to go that heavy if you're going to go that far in a series you've got to handle it really well and i thought the way that it happened was uh was handled well but i'm really curious to see what you think matt yeah no i think that's i, I like that you know, thought about the character who, you know, dies because of these actions by John Walker and putting like a deeper meaning to it because, you know, whether or not that was the intention, that's one of the great things about the show and like doing something like this is I never thought about that, but listening to you talk about that, like, yeah, this guy probably had, you know, just this super high opinion of, you know, what Captain America was supposed to be. And, you know, I can imagine, well, I can't imagine, I should say, like what his thoughts would be, you know, after even that first blow, because I'm sure that probably, that first blow probably crushed ribs. Um, because now, you know, John's taken the serum, so he's super strong. And that first throw with the shield, like it's not like he like he full fledged. So I'm sure he crushed a rib there. Um, like this guy's already hurt and in pain, and you know, and he's like, I, I didn't do it. Like it wasn't me. And then he gets hit, and it's just like, yeah, it was really really powerful to see that. So I'm just I'm really curious to how this next episode starts. But Rob, any follow up thoughts to how Harrison broke that down? Um, yeah, Matt, I, I'm like you, I hadn't necessarily put two and two together that this was the same character that was talking about idolizing Captain America. And to think that it is the same shield that we're talking about here, 
Um, yeah, I, my stomach kind of turned a little bit as, as I was thinking about that. Um, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see next week if they start off right in the same moment where this episode left off or if they start us somewhere else. Um, I think that'll be really interesting. I think, I think I, what I'm worried about is that they're going to try to show some kind of cover up on the, on the part of the U S government that they'll try to justify the actions in some way. Um, I kind of hope that we don't see that. I, I kind of hope that, uh, this dude's sort of persona non grata, um, that there's no excuses made for him, but I, I kind of think that we'll see some of that next week. Yeah, that, that'll be really interesting to see how, you know, the government will talk about this. Are they going to just kind of kick him to the curb? Like what will happen? Um, you know, and if they do, like, again, uh, Harrison mentioned it, what is John Walker's psyche about this? If they try to say, you know, sorry, like you got to go, like, what's his thought process going to be like, you know, like, do you, do you know what I'm doing for this country? Like, do you know what I've done for this country? Because again, he's very just, you know, me, 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 I'm Captain America now. So I'm just, again, two episodes doesn't seem fair. It seems like, oh my God, I can't believe it. It's going to be over. But uh, there's certainly a lot to, to pack into these next two episodes in terms of what we got here. So and Rob, do we know what, at the end of all of this though, what are your thoughts? How does this episode hit for you? Um, you know, I, I started it off by saying there's a lot of things that are being brought forward. There's a lot of elements that are either overtly or, or sort of um, under the surface discussed and brought out. And, and maybe it's too much. Maybe it's too many. Um, after going this long without really getting too deep into real world actual issues or giving us representations of things that people are familiar with, they, they throw a lot of it out there. Um, at times, maybe it feels like they're, they're going too many of those. They're trying to paint too broad a brush. Um, you know, this is, um, this is one that I enjoyed. I, I certainly had some problems with certain uh, elements of it. There was, there were certain scenes that didn't work. There's certain things that I go, wait, why does that make sense? Um, overall, if we're, if we're into the ratings portion of it, you know, I, I was ready to go as low as three and a half, but uh, I'm not there. Um, I'm at a four on this uh, four, four reels out of five. Um, there's some things that I wish would have worked better. There's some things that I think were really compelling um, and certainly things that, uh, as, as you said, Matt, we've only got two episodes left and, and to try to figure out how this is all going to get wrapped up in a way, uh, because unless I'm mistaken, this isn't a situation like with WandaVision where we know elements of this will, that were set up will have a payoff or will be revisited again in something like Dr. Strange two, or, or as we believe, you know, things in, in the third Spider-Man film will, will deal with things that were hinted at in, in WandaVision, unless I'm wrong, we haven't really heard that anything that happens in this show is going to have a lasting impact in, you know, this future film or this future project. It sort of feels like this will be contained, right? Am I, unless I miss something. No, I, I feel like you're right on that. I mean, they've, they've talked about maybe a season two, but for the immediate future of the MCU, 
it, it doesn't, they haven't talked about this being interconnected. Like they have these other things that we're getting so far. Uh, Harrison, have you heard anything or, or are you in the same boat? Uh, I was actually about to ask that. I, I don't think there is anything. And that's what makes it so interesting is like WandaVision is that you could kind of be like, well, okay. It didn't wrap it up, but it's, it's meant to tie into something later. I was like, well, what the heck does it like? If there's story beats that are just not finished, not concluded by the end of the series, where the heck are they going to get picked up again? I have no idea. Yeah. So, so Rob, you say that, uh, you know, this episode's four for you. Uh, Harrison, where do you stand on this episode? Yeah, it, it's really interesting to sit back and think about because I'm trying to figure out – it's interesting – Wow, let me th- slow down my brain for a second. It's interesting because <laughs> through a series, what we started with in episode one, and we're all the way over here in episode four, this is so much different than than Sam and his sister going to try and get a loan for a boat. Like, And, and where is that story going to continue, if at all, after what we just witnessed and what we just talked about at the end of this episode, right? How do all these things mesh together? And what's interesting is I was trying to do my snooping around like I was trying to peek behind the curtain. And I saw some like trailer, not trailer, some commercial for episode five released um, that, you know, because when they Disney releases those promos for the new seasons, it's just like footage we've already seen edited together. It's like, come on, give me something more. Um, I found one where it actually had some more footage and a lot of it was. So I'm assuming it was very limited around the boat that was at the beginning. And so it's interesting to think, how do we go from this back to that? And, and how does that all uh, mesh together? So thinking about the entire series, my brain's trying to understand how is this all going to be married together in two episodes that we have left. But as far, to get to the actual episode, I'm, I'm going to go with Robin, say that it's a four. Um, I didn't get a total rewatch. I probably rewatched like the first 10 minutes um so there's a lot that i'm missing that hearing you guys talk about kind of reminded me of and so it's yeah i I would say that it's a four because for the most part i just remembered the high points because those high points from writing to cinematography editing characters whatever 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 really really land well for me and that's what i seem to remember and there was even more good that i forgot about by listening to you guys but i also remembered some things that didn't that weren't the best so i'd say a four because for the most part I just remembered the good. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I'm right there with you guys. Uh, I, I would say this episode's a four. And sometimes I feel weird saying that it's a four because, I don't know, I feel like sometimes I'm not giving this credit, this show credit um, by the end of it with like the reviews that I'm saying. But uh, I yeah, I like this episode four out of five. Uh, certainly very very eager to get to friday to see where this you know starts like that is the most fascinating thing to me about where this next episode is going to start are we going to skip time like are they going to be back at this hotel or this hideout like you know and sam and bucky are going to be arguing with john like oh my god what did you do is there going to be a confrontation in the street like how does this all play out? Like, how does this play out? Um, I, I think that will really set the tone for the episode as to how that's going to be perceived. So uh, I'm looking super forward to the next episode, but. And where the heck is Zemo? Right. Yeah. I, where is Zemo right now? Um, Cause again, he took that casual stroll and, and got himself out of there. Um, 
So it'll be and interesting. When will the power broker show up? That's that's the other thing. You know, we hear another reference to this character. Um, yep. You know, several times, and 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 we see um, Sharon Carter briefly uh, and speaking about the power broker, and and once again we are given all of these breadcrumbs that we, the viewer, are supposed to take and interpret that possibly she is the power broker. Uh, however, we all know it will be Ralph Boner. Right. Yes, <laughs> yes. So he will, he will be back to spur us, <laughs> to, to spur us all again. <laughs> and just that damn red herring. Yep, it was Ralph Boner all along. Exactly. Oh, man. So... It, it, I'm, I'm losing focus because <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. it's like the funniest thing I've ever heard. I knew that was a ringtone. That was so funny. <laughs> oh my god! But Harrison, um, you know, for the the end of this episode again, let us know what uh, what do you have coming in the pipeline? When do listeners? When should we expect some new episodes? Because I know I'm looking forward to them and, you know, certainly the episodes that you said you have coming up um, from what we've talked about, have a pretty good following. So when are we expecting some new stuff from you? Yeah, I realized the, the thing about your show being on every Monday is it helps me keep track of when I release something less. Sadly, the last episode I released was a monthly update, which was like more than a week ago. But the episode I'm working on your name, uh, I was like really, really impacted by that film. And I just felt like I needed to take to take longer to develop it to adequately express what it meant to me. Uh, one of those moments where, you know, in, in the internet of trying to enjoy your creative endeavors, there's a little bit of a, just a constant churn that you have to have for relevance and to not be forgotten. And sometimes there's moments, at least for me, where I had to slow down to enjoy the, the cathartic personal creative side of it, instead of just feeding the internet beast. Um, so yeah, that's one episode that I'm very, very excited for is wrapping up my unexpected, unintentional animation season with your name, Weathering With You and My Neighbor Totoro. And then getting into some great action movies, Mission Impossible, which I've never seen any of them before, okay? I know, I'm shocker. I haven't seen a single one. And last Black Friday, I bought, I bought like the, the Blu-ray combo pack because I've been so excited to watch them. And there's so many days I'm like, I want to watch Mission Impossible, but I have to wait, so... I'm hoping that I can get your guys' opinion on those too. But yeah, that, that's what's coming is uh, specifically, hopefully tomorrow or Wednesday, the, uh, the uh, Your Name episode. Uh, Rob, I, I, have a, I have a question here at the end of this episode based on Mission Impossible and what Harrison just said. But do you remember Mission Impossible 2 being released in the theaters? Uh, vaguely, it was a long time ago, but, and I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I actually saw it in the theaters. I know I saw the first one in theaters, but the second one, I'm not positive. I saw it in theaters or at home. Yeah. Uh, Harrison, I really do like the mission impossible movies. Um, it's one of the few series and Rob, I think you and I talked about this a little bit where it's to me, it's rare that after seven movies, it's getting better. Usually by now, those things are just in the dirt and they make them because they're super cheap and they make money overseas. Um, that is not what, to me, that's not Mission Impossible at all. It's actually a movie that 
actually has gotten better over time. So uh, I'm just really impressed with those. Rob, do you, do you have a feeling on the Mission Impossible movies? Yeah, um, there's a couple of them I've missed. So, um, you know, in anticipation of, of Harrison's breakdown, I'm going to make sure I go out and, and check out all the ones that I haven't had a chance to go through yet. There's there's some real highs and lows, and I think the, the series took some time off, um, you know, long gaps in between, I, I think, three and four, uh, which were which was actually – you know, for the best. Um, and, uh, and it gives us another excuse to talk about Henry Cavill and his mustache. And, uh, it's an excuse for Matt to rewatch, uh, the Snyder cut for the 75th time <laughs> and appreciate yeah. the lack of Henry Cavill's mustache. Yes. Yes. Um, the, the reason I was asking about mission impossible Two is because obviously the box office is not what it once was. It certainly seems to be making a, comeback with Kong vs. Godzilla as more theaters were opened. But uh, way back when, when Mission Impossible 2 came out, because I remember just reading about this and it being like, oh my god, like I, this is unbelievable. Um, the opening weekend back in 2000 for Mission Impossible 2 was $54.7 million for the opening weekend. Um, and it was just this huge thing about, oh my god, this is the biggest opening weekend in history. Um, which was really fu- like it like crazy, which was really funny because of the fact that like you think about now and there's movies that opened to over two hundred million dollars on on opening weekend. So it was just really funny when this first came out to think of how little that actually means nowadays. I, I just find that fifty million dollars. Kinda- $50 million. That's what the theater down the street from my house made on Endgame alone in the opening weekend. <laughs> right. Like it, it's just, it, it's wild to think about how far it's come with the box office being what it is again, certainly not to the extent right now, but just back then for it to be this huge monumental occasion that this movie had made that, but yeah, uh, Harrison, I'll look really, I, I really look forward to, to seeing those Mission Impossible uh, reviews, especially too, because it will be a, you know, completely fresh set of eyes on them where you've never seen anything with Mission Impossible before. So um, I, I'll look forward to those a lot and that'll be fun. Certainly looking forward to that. But yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. Thank you for giving me a chance to, uh, to talk about it. and to be here with you i gotta say though i couldn't let you end the episode without saying i'm so jealous of your ability to host and guide this conversation <laughs> without what i assume about notes i'm gonna bring this up every time because it just blows my mind how you do this it's like i <laughs> i i don't preach into the choir here people but <laughs> you not listening to matt goes to the movies you got to just to be astonished at matt's ability to control the chaos that is rob and i <laughs> yeah, he have a fluid conversation i just i can't you're so great at this man it's like you were born to do it so thanks for letting me to be here that, that sentence didn't even make sense and that was just one oh my goodness just thanks let me try it again <laughs> thank you for letting me be here to be a part of this great conversation that you guided yeah, no, it's it's always a lot of fun. Rob almost he almost broke me with, <laughs> with yeah. it almost completely threw me for a loop. But um, the real impressive one will be when we do Star Wars, and I have no notes <laughs> for nine movies. Um, yeah, that would be true. I'm also hoping that we, for the longest time, I've been wanting way before when the basement binge used to be the three me and the two other guys. We thought about it would be hilarious to do like a mini series that we called Binge the Cringe, 
where we watched like a horrible movie or like a movie that's generally not loved and that we'd flip a coin or like draw straws or something. And one of us would be like the jury. One of us would be the defending and one of us would be the prosecuting and they'd have to convince the jury member whether the movie was good or bad. What, no matter what they thought about it, you know, whatever straw you drop. And I think that that would be hilarious to do with the last Jedi. (laughs) I think that would be so funny to do with the two of you. Uh, But I just, yeah, especially if Rob has to be the defending. Oh, man. Harrison, I, Rob, like literally we have to go, if you keep them, we have to scroll back through our text. I'm not kidding. Rob has said the exact same thing to me. (laughs) Yeah, I think we we were talking about calling it Matt puts a movie on trial. Like literally Rob has like Rob has talked about like, oh, we should do something like that. Now, quite frankly, I think uh, if we're going to do cringe movies, let's do like Electra or Batman and Robin. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Catwoman, uh, Daredevil, um, Triple uh, X. Oh, my God. Oh, oh. All right, you know what? Let's just record another episode right now. (laughs) (laughs) But but, um, well, you've certainly given us a lot of ideas for some future content. So, um, (laughs) but you know, to to everybody that's listening right now, again, like thank you so much. Uh, We've got a little bit of delay here, though, guys. Too before Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Loki. There's what a a month in between this series and, and Loki, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, I think that was supposed to be the period of time they were going to allow for Black Widow, which is now punted uh, further into the summer, unfortunately. Yeah, so this that'll be an interesting thing to digest this and not have any content uh, until Loki, which looks amazing i'm gonna avoid any other trailers for it um they did just release a new trailer for falcon and the winter soldier which uh harrison i think there's two different ones that they released and i I have not watched any of them i'm i'm gonna stay clear for these last two episodes of any kind of spoilers and just and just kind of see what happens and and i'm gonna do that with loki too if there's any more trailers or anything i am completely just you know, nope, I don't want to see it. Let's be surprised by this. Rob, what, you know, what are you guys doing with that? Are you going to, are you avoiding that stuff going forward for these shows? Uh, 100%. Um, I, I will watch kind of the initial one to sort of get excited about a project or have a rough idea of, of some things that I want to see in it. And, and then outside of that, I, I don't want anything that's going to tip me off too much. I, I think we've talked about this several times before, but I love the fact that on these Disney plus shows, we don't get a next time on, you know, whatever the show is. Um, we just have to sit and wait patiently uh, or not so patiently in our case, because we're like, rabid dogs like just give me more i want more you know um but there's literally nothing spoiled we don't know anything that happens next week at the end of this episode and i love it i love that they do that um and uh i i I wish more uh you know prime series the kind of shows that people talk about uh around the water cooler at work i wish more of them were like that so there's there's less to uh spoil yeah, uh, Harrison, are you gonna are you avoiding anything else that's coming out for Loki? I, I always try to with like everything, 
and then I'll get in like my newsfeed, like new trailer for this. I'm like, okay, I can't get click. <laughs> so like, I always say that I always say that I'm gonna try to, and then I fail. So maybe because I know that the two of you are, and that I won't have anyone to talk about the trailer to. I'm, I'm <laughs> maybe I'll try. I'll try this time with Loki, and I'll see how it goes. I'm sure it would make it a lot better. Uh, so I will try it. We'll there see how you it goes. go. All right. Well, uh, you know, listeners, again, uh, we're going to be back next week with episode five of Falcon, the Winter Soldier. Thank you for everybody that's been listening to these episodes. Uh, They actually have been going really well. And, uh, you know, the audience has grown since WandaVision. And, you know, I hope we mentioned that we always appreciate that. So anybody that's come over from the basement binge and listens to the show as well. Thank you so much. And anybody that listens to the show, if you haven't, the notes for the basement binge are with this episode. Go check out Harrison show. It's awesome. Uh, he was a huge inspiration to this podcast. And as always, thank you to Rob for helping with these episodes. And we're going to see you next week, guys. Thanks again for listening.